0: Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. In today's episode, I'm joined by naturopathic doctor and mold disease expert, Jasmine Brown. Jasmine will explain what mold disease is, the signs and symptoms to look out for, and how to identify mold in your home, which isn't always visible. She'll also be discussing the testing options available, ways to eliminate indoor mold, and her recommended detox protocols. Jasmine is a board-certified and licensed naturopathic doctor. She earned her Doctor of Naturopathic Medicine and Master of Human Nutrition degrees from the University of Bridgeport School of Naturopathic Medicine. Jasmine is an experienced clinician who has worked as a government senior public health nutritionist and is currently a consultant at Great Plains Laboratory, where she interprets hundreds of lab results, including mold-related tests. Hi, Jasmine. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank
1: you so much for having me. I'm honored to be a guest here.
0: Now, mold toxicity is a real problem. It can cause both physical and emotional issues. And sadly, often goes undiagnosed. So many people suffer in silence, not knowing where to get help. But luckily, you're going to unpack mold disease for us today uh, to give our listeners the, the vital information they need to identify and eliminate mold. But firstly, though, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to become a naturopathic doctor, as you've had quite an interesting health journey yourself?
1: Yeah, so my history and background with becoming a naturopathic doctor really started as um, a child. I've always been a part of the gymnastics community. I was a trampolinist for 13 years. And unfortunately, I struggled with my own health and eczema, a chronic from infancy. And it really just uh, took a toll on my mental health just in how I saw myself, also took a toll on uh, my ability to be proficient in my sport and trampoline. And, you know, I felt like the therapies that uh, were offered to me weren't really getting down to really why this was happening to me. And that really led me to a kind of preventative root cause analysis type of line of work. That's what led me to naturopathy. Yeah, it's so
0: inspiring, you know, when we look back and, and sort of what journey brought us to where we are today and, and what we're doing. So, so it's great that you've got that insight to help others. Now tell us about your role as a consultant at Great Plains Laboratory and what you do there.
1: Yeah, so it's my role and my pleasure really to review all of our functional medicine lab reports, including our organic acid test and mycotox profile, and really help to unpack with practitioners the biochemistry and some of the underlying causes of disease that really seem to plague us and, you know, oftentimes seem to present differently depending on who we're talking about. So it's really my goal to help practitioners understand what we're looking at, why these things are happening and how we might go about supporting our clients.
0: And you're going to talk us through some of those tests a bit later on as we go through. So, so let's kick off. Can you explain to us what mold disease is and why it occurs?
1: Yeah, so mold disease or toxicity is when we're really exposed to high levels of um, a fungal organism, various molds can be implicated. And then also when we're exposed to their highly toxic byproducts or mycotoxins.
0: And where are some common ways that we're exposed to mold?
1: Yeah, so probably your everyday most common way that we get exposed is actually through our diet. Lots of foods are commonly contaminated with mold organisms and their mycotoxins due to a lot of times the drying and storage processes with the production of these food items. But I will say this is typically, in my experience, a smaller portion of where we're getting these large amounts of mold and mycotoxin exposures. And typically in disease states or chronic toxicity states, we're finding that people have been exposed to water damaged and mold-contaminated buildings.
0: So that's kind of like the black mold that you would see.
1: Yeah, so, you know, commonly when we think of like a moldy building, we're thinking of black mold, we're thinking of we can see like water spots and discoloration, and we can smell this kind of musty odor. But typically, I find about nine out of 10 times that it's your building that you have no smell, no color, just, dis- you know, no discoloration, you have no visual. Signs that there is mold. And unfortunately, I think that's why we are seeing a lot more of this because it's sneaky, if you (laughs) will. You know, so sometimes we don't even realize that we're exposed, yet we're dealing with different symptoms.
0: Mm -hmm. So, how would somebody know that they have it? It would be through testing.
1: Correct. Yes. So, mold is often deemed the great masquerader. So like, I'll just kind of share with you my own post personal story with mold. When I was dealing with a mold exposure, it was really my skin that was kind of my telltale sign that there was something wrong. My eczema had aggravated significantly and kind of felt like out of nowhere. I personally had food sensitivities, also some changes in my menstrual cycle. And in that situation, I was living with someone else who had completely different symptoms. Their symptoms were fatigue and inability to lose weight. So even though we had the same exposure, we had two completely different manifestations. So that's something else that's a little tricky about mold and why testing is really your gold standard for understanding, are you exposed to this? Is this the cause of why you're feeling the way you're feeling?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in your situation, so you couldn't see any mold within your home, it wouldn't be the first thing you thought of because you couldn't see anything. Would that be right?
1: In my situation, I did see a little mold, I'll be honest with you. But because, you know, it's not really taught to us in school often as a chronic disease or tough states more talked to us in relation to, you know, aspergillomas of the lungs, something that you're not necessarily going to see often in kind of the realm that we're talking about mold. So it didn't really, at the time that I was going through it, it didn't trigger for me that that was, you know, the issue. It wasn't until actually I um, began working with the Great Plains Laboratory that it really struck me as well. No, that that was my problem. I was living in a moldy environment and actually when I got out of that environment, I did see improvement even without added therapy at the beginning.
0: Oh, wow. Now you talked about some foods before that could be a cause. Now, are there any particular foods that are more problematic or what types of foods would we see mold?
1: Yeah. So your common foods are gonna be wine, coffee, nuts and seeds grains, dairy products. These are kind of your top common moldier foods.
0: Okay. So is it always apparent? Like, cause you know, sometimes when fruit goes moldy, you'll see that, you know, the whitey gray bits. Is it always apparent? Like for example, nuts and seeds, would you see? Cause I know sometimes you can taste it with Brazil nuts, for example. They can always taste when they're moldy, even if it's a new packet, just has that weird taste. But on
1: generally, can you always see it? No, and that's the tricky part. You can't always see it. Oftentimes you're not going to see it. A lot of our food stuff is regulated in that way. So there's a certain allowable amount that can be there, you know, before it goes to purchase. So usually, you know, if you're trying to reduce your Exposure to mold and mycotoxins through food. I usually say, if you're not dealing with an exposure in your environment, limit those foods. You know, we don't want to overdo those types of things in our diet. Mm-hmm. And does keeping them in the fridge help? So, a lot of these molds and mycotoxins are temperature stable. So, it doesn't necessarily get rid of the mold or the mycotoxins, but it can kind of reduce the growth because mold does need like heat and moisture to grow. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Now, how about other causes within the home? Things like, I suppose, drying your washing inside the house and things like that. What are some of the key causes that cause mold to proliferate?
1: Yeah. So oftentimes I find that individuals who have moldy spaces in their home, there's a high humidity so like where I live, I live in the middle of the United States and it's very humid in the summer times. So if you're not actively controlling that moisture, I've seen the humidity go up to a 65% humidity. And at that level, mold is just happy. Um, it wants to grow, it wants to thrive and reproduce. So, you know, being very cognizant of the humidity level in your home helps to Reduce the chance that mold is going to grow. We oftentimes will see to something a little less globally in the home, but in the washing room. I know you mentioned the dryer, but even in your washing machine, especially your front loaders, if you see that rubber. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. That rubber seal, it oftentimes collects water, you know, cause you just washed. And if we're closing that door, that moisture never has a time to dissipate so it just sits. And you know, mold, I always say this I, to my clients, I'm like, mold has been here longer than we have. It'll probably be here long after we're gone. So mold is smart and it's savvy and it'll use whatever you know it has in its environment to grow and thrive. And that's a really nice, warm, dark, wet place that mold will thrive. So sometimes just leaving that cracked, Definitely be careful if you have young children. But leaving that uh, front loader cracked allows for that to dry out. I'll also see it sometimes in the dishwasher. So if you're, you know, washing your dishes, you have the heat and the moisture. That's just a perfect breeding ground for mold. So being sure after you run that cycle, you're allowing that heat and moisture to escape, uh, kind of by cracking the door.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and anywhere else, the bathroom, I imagine, because that gets quite steamy and and hot in there. And if you're not running the extractor fan, I imagine that would be another place.
1: Yes, that's a common sight. I find you know people are oftentimes finding that they have a kind of musty odor even hours after the last shower in their bathroom. So, like you said, using that fan, also you know keeping your showers you know, modest in time, not necessarily using the hottest water to reduce a lot of that steam and moisture in the room.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. And how about outside of the home, uh, sort of in work buildings or schools, where would you find mold in those vicinities?
1: Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, you'll find it either in individual offices or if those buildings have a history of flooding. You can really find it anywhere. If there's a leaky roof, it'll be like in the ceiling tiles. You know, with workspaces and schools, it's a little harder to identify, especially if, you know, you haven't been with the building through its entire history. You don't necessarily know about leaks or repairs and whatnot. But oftentimes, if you find that at work or school, you're feeling the worst, Think about where you spend a majority of your time. That's usually the culprit. Mm-hmm.
0: And air conditioning units as well. Would that be problematic?
1: Yeah, if you have an air conditioner that's um, leaky or oftentimes the filter will collect the moisture. And then even though it's cooling, you're getting cooling air, it does get warm in there. So that filter oftentimes will become moldy and then it'll blow mold pores into the air.
0: Mm-hmm. And would that be the same in a car as well, with the units in a car? Would that, if you've got some mold in there and you're running the heating or running the air con, would that be blowing those mold spores into the car?
1: Yes, same thing. Same thing can happen. You know, there's actually been a couple of recalls for that reason where it just like mold was able to grow and thrive and then it was blowing. So that's definitely also something to think about, especially if you spend a lot of time in your car, you know, for commutes or whatever.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so how does mold disease present? You know, what are some of the standout signs and symptoms? And I know you said it's different for everyone, but are there the like common ones that present for most people?
1: Yes, there are definitely common symptoms. I would say your acute symptoms, kind of like your allergic type of things that you might get if you have an allergy to mold, sneezing, coughing, itchy, watery eyes, um, hives. And you'll also see this in like an allergic asthma type of client. Some of your more chronic or toxicity type symptoms include things like headaches, nausea, vomiting. Sometimes you'll get diarrhea. People can experience mental health conditions like anxiety, depression. I've seen things as extreme as hallucinations, extreme fatigue and pain, infertility. Sometimes is caused by mycotoxins, immunosuppression, and then you know just keeping in mind a lot of these toxins are liver and kidney toxic, so you can actually see a lot of the damage to these organs from mycotoxin exposure.
0: Mm. so it could be anything and everything, basically. What are some of the long term health complications if you don't address the mold? like how can it so it can damage your liver and kidneys, but what other damage can it do?
1: Yeah. So like I said, it can cause immunosuppression, so it leaves you more susceptible to infections. So you might succumb to like an infection. Also, a lot of them are carcinogenic. So there is a potential to develop cancer.
0: Wow. And why do you think it goes undiagnosed that it's not picked up quite a lot?
1: So my theory or thought behind that is I think as a society, we've kind of normalized mold because, like I said before, it's always been here. You know, mold isn't anything new per se, but because it's always been here, because it's kind of challenging sometimes to correct in a space, we have normalized it. And so in normalizing it, we've understood kind of the physiologic changes that can happen from it but never really have thought about, hey, what's causing all these physiologic changes? And I think now with the new testing and just the awareness of mold, we are now starting to see it a lot. And I don't think that increase in seeing it is anything new. I just think now we have those tools to really see it and uncover it from individuals.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Natural Health with CNM. Still to come, I talk to Jasmine about mold testing for both your home and body, how to detox from mold disease and ways to prevent mold from manifesting in your home. Are you or a loved one struggling with health issues? Would you like to change career and become a natural therapist? CNM offers a wide range of short courses and diploma training both online and in class. Contact us today for a limited time to save 10% on short courses using the code PODCAST. Visit www.cnmpodcast.com. So what testing is available for, for both the home and the body, sort of internal testing, and how can these tests be accessed by the general public?
1: Yeah, so for your home, I usually recommend dust collection samples. It really collects, you know, Mold spores that have fallen out of the air into your dust. A good test is the environmental relative moldiness index or the army that can be found online most places. Also, there's mold testing plates that you can get from your local, usually hardware store or also online. And this does more like air sampling and you can actually like visualize the mold growing on those test plates. Um, and that's like a really good option for your car as well.
0: So they're just like little plates that you just put out and then it has like a a thing that monitors how much mold there is.
1: Yeah. So there's like a a nutritional auger that basically once the mold lands, it feeds off of it and it'll grow. And some plates you just kind of visualize and say, oh, wow, that's mold. Or you can also send it into the lab that you have that the plate goes back to and they'll analyze it for you and tell you, you know, what molds there are that you're dealing with. So those are the, you know, testing options that I usually recommend for people that are, you know, do it yourself. For your body, Great Plains actually offers a few tests for mold testing. You know, my recommendation is to do the organic acid test. This test helps us to understand our mold exposure. And its ability, or its yeah, its ability to colonize, meaning to actually grow within our bodies. So, this test has specific mold markers that look at the growth of aspergillus, probably the most, most common mold that we see in this situation, and a mold called fusarium. And it looks at how much of that is growing in your GI tract. There are other tests is the mycotoxin profile that looks at the excretion of mycotoxins. And right now we're looking at 11 toxins. And by being able to identify what toxins we're dealing with, we now know what molds we're dealing with. And it also lets us know how much of these toxins are coming out. And that can give us an understanding of the extent of our exposure So, those are the two that I definitely recommend. We do also have a mold allergy test. So, if you, you know, like I was saying before, if you're having the sneezing, coughing, itchy, watery eyes, that would be a good test to add on as well.
0: Okay. So, with the mold, each mold expels a different type of toxin, and that's how you identify them. Is that what you mean? Yes.
1: Yes. So, like, for example, Aspergillus, that's the mold that I kind of mentioned on the organic acid test. It excretes three common toxins, ochratoxin, aflatoxin, and gliotoxin. Okay, So we can see that on the mycotoxin profile versus the fusarium mold that I spoke about. It produces a toxin called zearalenone. So completely different toxin than the ones produced by aspergillus. But then there's some other molds that we can't necessarily specifically see their colonization, but we can see their toxic byproducts. And some of those produce things like macrocyclic tricosa things that are really nasty guys. verrucarin A, Aurora E, and these are also on the mycotoxin profile. And then we can get understandings about like black mold or stachybotrys.
0: Okay. And are these blood tests, both of these tests, the organic acid test and the, the
1: mycotoxin test? So the great thing about these tests is these are urine tests. So no blood draws. You don't have to like poop in a container or anything. It's just the first morning void. So really easy and you can actually do it on the same urine sample.
0: Too easy. And would you recommend doing one first Is there one and then seeing what happens with that one and then do the other one? Or do you just do them both at the same time?
1: So ideally, we want to do them both at the same time. And the reason is because these two tests actually work synergistically with one another because the organic acid test is telling you about mold colonization or growth. So how much of that mold is actually taking up space within your GI tract? and it's growing and thriving. Well, the mycotox is telling me more about your excretion of toxin. So if we're just looking at toxin excretion and you're not doing so hot and excreting toxin, I might get minimal levels. But if we were to do your, oh, will see, oh, but you actually have a really strong colonization. On the flip side, sometimes what I'll see is you haven't quite colonized yet, which is great. I don't necessarily want to see colonizing, but you have a lot of toxin coming out in your mica top, So we're still dealing with an exposure. So the two separately are wonderful, but together they're the complete package to really help you understand the full picture of mold toxicity and disease. Mm-hmm. And how would someone
0: access these tests? Would it be through a practitioner?
1: Yes. So you would get access to these through your healthcare practitioner. Excellent.
0: Now, once the mold's been identified that somebody's got mold toxicity, how would you go about detoxing it from the body?
1: Yeah. So I usually think about mold detox in kind of a three-step process. First step is to identify and remove the source of exposure. So that kind of goes back to the testing that I mentioned. And then you'll want to detox the toxin. So in detoxification, we want to remember that involved in that is our liver and kidneys and then also our GI tract tract. Now, some toxins just use your liver and kidneys, some just use your GI tract, but lucky for us, mycotoxins kind of like to use both. Um, so we have to support both. And because of that, I recommend supporting with things like antioxidants like glutathione. This is our major antioxidant that helps us detoxify majority of chemicals and toxins. And a majority of mycotoxins use this pathway to be conjugated and released into the urine. You'll also need to, you know, support also glucuronidation. This is another pathway in the liver that helps us to detoxify toxins. For the GI tract, binders are actually your go-to. And the great thing about binders and what they're really doing is when we take them, they actually don't get absorbed. They just stay in your GI tract and they adsorb or kind of cling to the toxin, kind of like um, static cling. So, you know, this a lot of static in the air. You have a dryer sheet that's stuck to your clothes. That's kind of how this attraction is happening with the binder. And then instead of that toxin getting reabsorbed, through your GI tract, into your bloodstream, and having the ability to kind of wreak havoc on your body all over again, the binder binds to it and you're able to excrete it through the bowels. And what are some examples
0: of the binders? Are there ones that you use in particular?
1: Yeah, so for severe cases, I usually recommend things like charcoal or uh, a zeolite or bentonite clay. There are prescriptions like Welkol and Cholestyramine. Those have been shown to work very well for a particular mycotoxin, Okra Toxin A. Others include fiber, you know, just your general good old fiber will help to bind up and excrete mycotoxins. Glucomanin is a great one. Which one, sorry? It's called Glucomanin. Yep. Modified citrus pectin. And then I was just introduced, maybe a few months ago, to Okra as a blender so yeah so they would eat the okra Uh uh-huh you eat the okra yeah is there a particular way to prepare it so oftentimes uh boiling it because you if you've cooked okra
0: i haven't so that's why i'm asking so i'm just thinking of others that might not be familiar with it so you just boil it up do you
1: yes you boil it up and it it often gets this kind of this is going to sound kind of gross but like a mucusy kind of slimy texture and that is actually that binding capacity.
0: Right. Okay. This slimes up your insides basically. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, interesting. So how long would it take you to detox from from these molds roughly? Is it sort of a quite a short
1: process or does it take some time? So mold toxicity and detoxification, it is a process. It's not, you know, like two weeks and you're done. Typically, individuals are finding that it takes about nine to 12 months total to fully detox and get rid of the mold. Now, I have seen cases where it was like three months and a person just kind of hit it hard and was able to get rid of it. That's the exception, not the rule. So I usually warn people for about nine to twelve month process, and then just keeping in mind this kind of timeline starts once your exposure has been removed.
0: Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Just getting it removed. So, so how would someone do that? What are some good ways So say they're in a, a building and they're, and they're renting it, for example, and you know, they're beholden to their their landlord who's not going to do anything about it. Is there any way that they can
1: remove it themselves easily? I mean, there's physical ways. I mean, you can physically remove mold. Cleaning it, oftentimes I find can diminish it. So sometimes people will do like fogging or ozone in the home to kind of reduce the mold. It doesn't necessarily get rid of it but it can reduce the exposure while you're kind of dealing with either your landlord or um, moving or waiting for the remediation from like a mold remediation company. And that would be my recommendation, actually getting someone out there, a professional who, you know, this is what they do so that the mold can actually be taken out instead of oftentimes just kind of covered. Yeah, because it quite often it gets painted
0: over or people use bleach and things like that. And that's Probably one of the worst things you can do.
1: Exactly. And that kind of aggravates it. So I don't necessarily recommend people doing it themselves and kind of leaving it at that. But I do recommend if you're finding that you can't initially get out of the space, use a dehumidifier, use the air purifier, try to, you know, if you know it's more of an isolated area, try and stay out of that area as much as possible changing your filters as often as you can, because it's not going to remove the exposure, but it's at least going to reduce how much you're getting exposed to on a daily basis. Mm -hmm.
0: And you know, when you say they come in and remove it, how do they do that? What specifically do they do? They actually take that chunk of area out and remove it and replace it. Is that what they do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, oftentimes when a building's been water damaged, that damage is permanent and to try oftentimes to try and revive it those efforts usually aren't successful from my experience so I would you know it's really a removal and replace kind of effort
0: yeah yeah now do essential oils I've heard things like tea tree and certain essential oils can be Effective if it's you know just the not that black mold, but that kind of you know, you see the condensation on windows, for example, and you see the wall or something nearby that starts going a bit moldy. Would that work?
1: So those things can be applied. They kind of fall into the box of do-it-yourself. So that would be more of like, okay, I want to do something to reduce me to help. And that can definitely be applied, but again. I would still get someone out there because typically if you can see it from my experience, it's way worse underneath.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You can't see most of it, can you?
1: Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I've seen people who find benefit while they're kind of, again, waiting for that full remediation with like mold candles. There are some different candles out there that have like essential oils that you can light and kind of help to purify the air. So again, another great way to help reduce some of the spores that you're breathing in, but again, won't eliminate.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So once the, the mold's been eliminated and somebody's going through this detox protocol with the binders and the antioxidants, etc., are there any other dietary and lifestyle measures that you recommend to help their body recover from the mold? Yes.
1: Yeah, so dietarily... I usually recommend if you're that person who kind of overdid those commonly moldy foods that I discussed earlier, like the coffee, the nuts, the wine, the grains, reducing those or even eliminating them during that time of dealing with mold can be beneficial just because it reduces how much mold and mycotoxins are coming in. If you only eating these things, Ever so often, it's not the end of the world to still enjoy and live your life, but this also will kind of depend on the severity of your condition. So definitely talk with your practitioner when deciding how aggressive you might want to be with the dietary aspect. Also, dietarily, you'll want to cut out simple carbohydrates. Mold is a fungus, kind of like candida, and these organisms love sugar. So if we're eating those simple carbs like cookies and cakes and uh, white rice and white bread and pasta, we're really going to feed this organism that then can start to grow and thrive even more within your body. I also recommend exercise. Get hot, get sweaty. You can even do sauna therapy. This really helps with the mobilization of toxins so that they can get into the bloodstream, they can go to your liver, and they can be detoxified.
0: So Jasmine, to detox with a sauna, how often would somebody be needing to do a sauna? What would you recommend?
1: You know, ideally in the average person, three times to every day a week would be ideal. Now, sometimes that's a lot for some people that are very sensitive to these toxins, to these organisms. And in some cases, those individuals can only do it maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks. The time frame that you would spend in a sauna, maybe 15 to 20 minutes so that you could get nice and warm or well, hot. But again, this is going to be dependent on the sensitivity level of the client. And you'll be able to gauge, you know, how much you'll be able to handle kind of after that first treatment. Mm-hmm.
0: Is it quite common to experience detox symptoms, you know, when the, when these molds, when you're going through this kind of detox protocol, it, how would people feel?
1: Yeah. So it is quite common, especially in the beginning. Typically what I see detox wise is a sometimes an aggravation of the symptoms that you're already experiencing. So like for myself, I know when I was first beginning to detox, I felt increased itching and irritation of my skin. A common, not necessarily associated with your specific symptoms, but a common thing is fatigue. Some people will have headaches. I also see a lot of pins and needles in the fingers and toes for neuropathy. Yeah. So those are some of your common detox symptoms. Mm -hmm.
0: And any other dietary or lifestyle measures that you recommend? You know,
1: once you get into the clean space, I always recommend prevention of mold at that point. So Getting dehumidifiers or having a whole home dehumidifier, having an air purifier already in place. Even sometimes people will do the mold candles in a clean space just because, you know, mold is present, but because it hasn't started to grow yet, you can really do a lot to prevent that growth later on. Mm-hmm.
0: And are there any particular types of humidifier or air purifiers uh, that one would need to get?
1: Biggest recommendation around like humidifiers or dehumidifiers would be to get one that's large enough for your space or several for your space. Or, like I said before, like a whole dehumidifier that's going to keep your humidity at a certain level. That level is usually between 35 and 50. Somewhere in there. That's kind of the no growth zone for mold. And then your air purifiers is I like to make sure they have a HEPA filter to filter out those spores and those toxins.
0: Yeah. And those plates that you recommended to check the mold within the air, what would somebody look what's the exact name of them for somebody to go and find those?
1: Yeah, so I recommend a company called Immunolytics. Um, I'll spell it for you. It's I-M-M-U-N-O-L-Y-T-I-C, Immunolytics. And they have mold testing plates. They also have a direct swab option. So like if you can actually see the mold like on your window seal or in your bathroom or something, you can swab it directly and they'll identify what mold that you're dealing with. And they have instructions on their website for testing in your home and also in your car. Great.
0: They've got all bases covered.
1: (laughs) Now, just to finish
0: up, what's your biggest tip for anyone experiencing mold toxicity?
1: My biggest tip is don't get discouraged. The great news is that we've been dealing with this for a while. We've been able to see it. We've been able to address it with a lot of people. So there is hope. I would say be patient with the process and remember that it took you a while to get to the place that you are. So it will take a while to get back to a place of, you know, feeling more like yourself. But all in all, don't lose hope.
0: That's oh, such great advice, and I think that's really key because I think so many people expect to, you know, just to turn it around in a week. So that's why I thought, you know, asking that time frame is really important because it gives somebody that benchmark, you know, nine to 12 months is realistic, isn't it? Because as you say, it took a long time for this to develop in the body and manifest. So it's going to take just as long to kind of strip it back and, and heal the body.
1: Exactly. And oftentimes I find when we know like this is the time it's going to take, we can already kind of mentally prepare ourselves that this is going to take a while. I'm going to have to be patient and diligent and consistent. And that usually just sets us up for success right there at the beginning.
0: Absolutely. Setting those expectations is key. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us today, Jasmine. It's been fantastic. And I know it will help so many of our listeners. Now, where can people find more information about you and the work that you do?
1: Yeah, so you can find more information about me at the Great Plains Laboratory website. It's www.gp-labs.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you again and, and all the best with everything. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much again for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Jasmine for sharing her knowledge and expertise with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Jasmine in the show notes on the CNN website at www.cnnpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about nutrition, environmental toxins or detox protocols, check out CNM's range of short online courses and diploma training on the CNM website at www.naturopathy-uk.com. We have a series of open events coming up in the next few months and you can find all the details in the events section of the website thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.